0: We use the constraint-led approach a lot, so we vary a lot uh, with the task that we give the players, also with the environment, so we give them different bats, we give them stuff that they have to step onto, or we play around with fatigue, partial fatigue, and by changing those things constantly, the body has to find a solution every time, a new solution, to still come up with with a good swing and put the bat on the ball.
1: Hey, and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner and thank you so much for being here. On today's show, we have Bart Hanegraaff, athletic performance and hitting coach for Dutch baseball and softball. On the show, Bart and I discuss his relationship with Franz Bosch and how that has affected his philosophies on hitting, but we also get into some variable training, constraints, and what a typical batting practice session would look like for him. This conversation is so good, and here is Bart Hanegraaff. Bart Honigroff, thank you so much for joining us on the show today.
0: Thank you. Very honored to be on it.
1: Well, definitely. So you are basically a half a world apart, and I, I want to hear your story. I want to hear how you got into baseball. So talk to us about you know your baseball background and you know why you got into coaching now.
0: Yeah, so I'm from the Netherlands, and I um, was born in a very small town. I know from a young age, my mom gave me a baseball bat and a glove, and I just started hitting tennis balls around uh when I was really young and then uh playing in the park we were playing a different kind of game it wasn't really baseball but it was like stick ball or uh you know a, a variant of of baseball and then somebody asked me if I wanted to play baseball so I went to a little club uh started over there and then um after a couple of years somebody told me like hey you're you have some talent so if you want to you know play at a bigger club you should come to PSV Eindhoven which is uh, the club in the city where I live currently? So I played there for uh, for a lot of years, and then um, along the way, Martijn Nijhoff, which I work with now, was one of my coaches. Started doing uh, a little higher level baseball, like the second highest level in in Holland. From there on, I went to play college, junior college in the, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And uh, I played there for one year after I graduated here in uh, the Netherlands. And when I came back, I Still played, uh, baseball. And then I went to Twins Oosterhout, which is the, is a team. And we promoted to the Dutch Major League, uh, in three years when I played there. And I played in the Dutch Major League for one year. And then, uh, I really had the opportunity to work, uh, as a hitting coach and a athletic trainer, uh, full time for the, for the Dutch Federation. So I had to quit playing myself to start the career in, um, in coaching
1: you know, it's, it's always interesting to hear, you know, I, I'm in such a small bubble in America that baseball is America's pastime. And, and so it's, I grew up in a baseball family. And so I love getting to hear how other people got their start in baseball. And, and so, you know, speak about your, you know, what you're doing now and with the Dutch baseball club and, and talk about your, you know, relationships with, you know, all of the guys that are there, like Franz Bar- Bosch and you mentioned Martin yeah. and Ihoff and and Paul Venner. I heard him on a podcast the other day, and he was fantastic. And you guys, you guys are really getting getting it going.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 a pretty cool story. It, it Almost is kind of a lucky thing because in Holland, there's only like twenty thousand people playing baseball. So oh, wow. I was fortunate to be one of them to uh, you know be able to play the sport. And along uh, the way I started when I was playing baseball I started um going to school to be a PE teacher okay and um during my time at PSV Eindhoven where I played Martin was my coach and he started up a baseball academy so we have 6 of uh, six baseball academies in uh in Holland at that time and he was uh, the founder of one of them And uh, I had to do my internship as a trainer somewhere. So I connected with Martijn and was one of the trainers at the Bixie Baseball Academy. And uh, we worked alongside uh, for many years. And then he was asked to become the talent development guy in Holland. Um, So he left to work for the federation and I stayed at Bixie. But also during that time, he connected with Franz Bosch at one of uh, Franz Bosch's leisure's and he came back, and I remember he said, well, we have to change our, uh, our game because we don't know anything <laughs> about movement and coordination and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, we dove into all the literature, all the things that Franz was preaching, and, um, yeah, from there it took off. And when I was working at Big C, Paul Venner, who's a strength and conditioning guy, he uh, started working for the National Institute of Sports, uh, the uh, Olympic Committee. And he was also working for us for our baseball guys. Okay. So Martin, me and Paul connected and uh Paul was actually going to the Fontes University at that time, or he just finished, where Franz Bosch was also a teacher, so he knew about the, the ways that Franz Bosch was uh, uh working. And um yeah, we were all really interested in his teachings and uh we dove full into it and, and started working together. So later on Martin took Paul Venner as a strength and conditioning guy to the federation. And at that time, I started going to the Fontys University to get my um, bachelor's degrees in uh, sports science. And I took that choice because I knew that Franz Bosch was uh, lecturing over there, and Paul advised me to go there. So I went there and got my bachelor's degree. And Franz Bosch made me do a project about hitting. And he said, Do some research on how the baseball swing works. And these are the points that you have to look at. So I did. And eventually that got me an internship at the federation, the baseball federation. And then I was the hitting coach for the Dutch national team under 18 for three years. And when that stopped, they uh, offered me the job as an athletic performance trainer. So I'm doing the strength and conditioning as well as the hitting right now for the Dutch baseball federation, baseball as softball. I
1: love it. And I I honestly think that I think everybody who has a conversation with Franz or has read his stuff has had that same moment of, wow, nothing that I'm doing is the correct way to do things. So I <laughs> I completely get yeah. it.
0: Yeah. He, uh, he has his ways of uh, making you feel stupid sometimes. but <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> no, but very, I mean, everything, yeah, it's very clear and he knows his stuff and, and he really motivates you to work harder and, and look into things and look, look at things differently. And uh, yeah, it's uh, been a really... Really amazing learning journey for me, going to the university and also working alongside Paul and Martijn, and we keep each other sharp and and work together. And it's yeah, it's been fantastic.
1: Definitely, you actually just spoke at the Florida Baseball Ranch for the Skill Acquisition Summit or Summit, and talk talk with us about what you talked about, and if you don't mind, just give us a little bit of content with that.
0: Yeah, so Franz, uh, Martijn, Paul, and me, we went to Florida to talk at the summit and um Franz did a story about uh motor learning and um how the how the body learns new movement patterns and coordination Paul talked about the strength and conditioning side so taking that uh, constraint led approach or the dynamic systems theory and uh, apply it to strength and conditioning martine's uh doing a lot about the perception and also how we uh design our practices and I did it about the hitting and um Basically looking at hitting from a dynamic systems perspective mm-hmm. and what the stable elements are in the swing. I've been talking about some um, some principles like deceleration or kinetic chain and, and how we look at the movement pattern that is uh, involved in hitting.
1: Okay, so let's talk a little bit about some practical application. And yep. uh, I love that you're, you know, a team coach because I am and that we we have that that bond that we've got, you know, 30 guys that we're trying to make better at one time, really. And so <laughs> yeah. since we're you know, we're currently in the off season, and most of our listeners are doing the same thing and they're trying to, you know, make it the best thing possible for their players. So yep. they're trying to add new things and see what's better, what's good and what's what's not as good. And so talk to us about, you know, what are your main goals for the Dutch baseball offseason and what are kind of your objectives uh, behind those?
0: Yeah. So in the winter, we're really fortunate that we have the indoor facilities and because in the Netherlands it rains a lot okay, <laughs> and uh, we can go inside. So for the hitting um, side of things, we really work on uh, skill acquisition and, and um, excel in our movement patterns. So we start off with making movement analysis of everybody, so the the baseball guys and the softball girls, and we look at what are the flaws in their movement patterns. And from there on, um, yeah, we're going to come up with exercises to basically improve their movement patterns in hitting. And we do that through yeah the things that I just talked about, the stable mm-hmm. elements and and the elements in the swings that can vary. So let's say if we want to correct the deceleration after a swing, and we see that somebody doesn't do that in the correct way then we come up with exercises to have them improve that and we we use the constraint led approach uh, a lot so we vary a lot uh with the task that we give the players also with the environment so we give them different bats we give them you know um stuff that they have to step onto or make them do all crazy stuff <laughs> sure and um also um yeah, the organism. So basically the body that they have, that they're moving with. So we play around with fatigue, partial fatigue. Okay. So let's say somebody has to do a, make a swing. We fatigue their uh, their right leg. So let's have them do five single leg squats and then hit right away. Okay. And by changing those things constantly, the body has to find a solution every time, a new solution to still come up with a, with a good swing and put the bat on the ball. So we use a lot of variety and um yeah, make it chaotic basically in order to improve the movement patterns.
1: Oh, well, that's fantastic. And it's something that I think that since, you know, here in America we're we're very traditional, right, with yeah. our ba- with baseball because it's been around for forever and so it's always good to hear a new perspective on things and getting to hear your perspective on on how, you know, you guys believe how to do it best and how you know how to speed up the learning curve I guess we could say and so when when you get a new hitter in you know and he takes a couple of swings can you talk to us about what you're trying to look for in the swing
0: yeah so the first thing I look at is the end point of the swing so after contact what is he doing if you is he uh, decelerating the movement at the right way? Is he finishing a swing? And is everything safe? Because if the body finds a safe way to uh, decelerate the swing, we think, then it's also safe for him to swing hard. And uh, especially now everybody wants to swing hard and, and make hard contact. You have to learn how to decelerate and do that in a safe way. So that's the first thing that I'm looking at. Um, and I make my movement analysis from – back to the front. So I start with the finish, and then I go to contact, and then I go to, okay, does he use all parts of his body, or is he just using his hands? And then I work all the way back to his load. But for me, the most important thing, what I've seen is if if somebody learns how to finish the correct way, they will learn they hit hard. If they don't finish the correct way, it's going to be hard to put some power in the swing.
1: Okay, perfect. Now, you said something earlier that really had me intrigued, and that's you know, your chaos training. So you said that that you try and fatigue different parts of the body. And so what are some other examples of what you guys are using? Because I love it. I mean, I want to be able to train in an environment that's just as hard or harder than the game and make it variable. So what are some other practical ways that you guys do that?
0: Well, when we do BP, uh, we never tell them what what we're going to throw at them. So it's not just fastballs, it's change-ups, it's Mm curveballs. We also do... um, A drill, we call it in Dutch, we call it the wire. Uh, I don't know how you say it in Dutch. It's basically, you know, the Japanese, when it's really hot, you have the Japanese windy thingies. You have to flap (laughs) around to keep you cool. Right, yeah, fans. (laughs) The fans, exactly. So we call the drill a fan. So we're going to throw it, the ball really outside, but also at them. Uh, So it's almost like a cricket game. And 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 they have to hit it, so it's a no take BP. You have to hit everything that comes at you. So okay. you make the 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 movement pattern exaggerated. So they have to find what is you know what is the right way to handle that that situation basically. Sure. And in in that variety, they will filter out what they can use in the baseball swing and what they can. And through variability, we yeah make the the whole system basically more stable. Um, some other. Uh, examples that we do is uh, we hit on mat- mattresses, so uh, the the ground where they're staying on is really unstable, so they constantly have to adapt to the unstable environment that they're on. Okay. Also, we give them different bats: softball bats, heavy bats, really light bats. But it stays in a, in a certain bandwidth. So we're not gonna hand them 38s, uh thirty fours, but mm-hmm. you know we're staying in into that range where it will be two ounces heavier, two ounces lighter, a shorter bat, a longer bat, those kind of things.
1: Okay. The kids that you're going to be working with are a lot different than the kids that, that I work with, or may, maybe they're not. I guess we're about to find out. But what are some of the most common problems that you see with the kids that you're working with? And then on the flip side, how do we as coaches help fix those different problems?
0: Well, one of the things that i I've noticed is that a lot of kids they you know nowadays don't move as good as they as we think we did maybe back in the days, sure um so yeah, the movement patterns I see, but that that comes down to also like baseball here's a really small sport, so they come from small most of the times they come from small clubs or they've been in academies for a little bit, and um they have some some movement flaws which comes down to i think uh coaches maybe um uh, focusing too much on winning games so a lot of them just want to make contact and they don't want to swing hard mhm uh, that's something that i really see uh posture when they come uh posture is changing so a lot of forward fixed elbows or uh, shoulders yeah and and what i see a lot is the the fear to fail they want to get instant gratification um so if something doesn't go right, they don't have the perseverance to, yeah, keep, keep it going and trying to figure it out.
1: To be completely honest with you, your kids are exactly like our kids. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's interesting. And yeah. so, I, so something that I've really tried to get better at is using either the weight room or getting out of the cage to help them with their in cage swing. So, again, yeah. you work with, with Martine and, and Paul who yeah. Martinez is, is the perception action expert and, and Paul, who is the head of athletic performance. But how do you yeah. guys all share what you're seeing and merge it all together to help the player get better? So you're not only seeing just them in the cage, you're seeing them in the weight room, you're seeing them outside of the cage. And how are you guys yeah. working together to build better baseball players?
0: I think this is what our strength is and that we're, we, we don't see hitting and strength and conditioning and, and, and throwing all these things as loose elements of the game, but we all see him integrated. So if I see something in hitting and I see a flaw in a movement pattern, pattern, I can talk with Paul about that. And I'm going to say, okay, here's deceleration pattern is off, or here's foot plan is off. And, and Paul takes that with him and and, and and works with that player. He works on that certain element in the strength and conditioning or in the weight room. So also our strength and conditioning is 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 going away from the traditional side of things where we just lift heavy weights or we're moving really fixed mm-hmm. but we're we're having a more uh, coordination based strength and conditioning practice. Of course, you know, uh, during the week we also do heavy lifting to have physiological um, adaptations but we move uh, way more to coordination based. So again, we look at what are the movement patterns that are uh, required for playing baseball or softball, and we're gonna, yeah, really put the focus on that uh, in the in the strength and conditioning. Um, so that could be that could be sprinting, that could be throwing. So we look at okay, what is necessary for throwing a ball? Now, how do those muscles? Are they working concentric or eccentric, or are they working in an isometric state and have the elastic properties of the muscle work during a throw? Now, if that is the case, then we're going to do also exercises in the gym that will focus on isometric function of the muscle, basically. So we really look at what are the requirements of, of baseball and softball, and we implement that in as well as hitting, as well as the practice, as well as strength and conditioning.
1: Something that is becoming more and more popular, and you see more and more people trying to do it, and that's just your different assessments. So your mobility assessment, stability assessment, and I'm guessing that you guys are running them all through some sort of assessment. Can you talk to us about what those look like for you? And then for someone like myself, who's not as well-versed in that type of thing as you are. Can you say, you know, a couple of different things that you may look for that are, I don't want to say simplified, but that, that I could do if I didn't have an expert available?
0: Yeah, also here we're trying to, to go away from the, the functional movement screening or, or looking at fixed movements because in game or while you're performing the sport, those fixed movements, they don't really happen. Okay. So we look at um, more yeah 3D uh, movement assessment. And so, when we do a when we do an exercise, looking at that exercise can give you a lot of information too. So, if somebody throws a medicine ball, is he using his whole body and his his torso to rotate fully through, or is he just pushing his arms? Now, if he if he is not rotating as he should, then we know okay, we might have to fix his mobility in the thoracic spine, or we have to fix you know rotation. So we look at when we do our movement assessments, it's more coordinative based. And during our strength and conditioning or practices, we do focus a lot on mobility and stability, but our movement assessments are more integrated in our exercises and also in our movement analysis that we do in game. So we look at hitting, throwing, and we look at those elements, which should be, you know execute it really well and if that doesn't happen that will tell us what we need to work on in strength and conditioning instead of looking okay how is he doing this squat is he you know uh, a 5 out of 5 or a 3 out of 5 we're looking more like what are the requirements of the movement in a game and if that those are off then we're going to work at that in the strength and conditioning now when we do normal squats or or deadlifts of course we look at you know how is he doing the exercise and what can we what can we improve but we're stepping away a little bit from, you know, the functional movement screen assessments and 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 the fixed postural assessments.
1: Well, that's awesome and I love to hear that perspective as well. Now, you mentioned earlier that you played junior college baseball in in the United States yep. and uh where exactly did you play?
0: I played in Palm Desert, a okay. small small school southern California. Okay. And the college name was College of the Desert.
1: And the reason that, you know, not that I'm not curious, but the reason that I ask is I'm sure you went through the traditional baseball, American baseball experience in junior college and very yep. traditional, I'm, I'm assuming. And so did what do you see that makes American baseball practices less than game-like? So if you were going to tell me, and I, and I know you have a little bit of a limited perspective, but most, I would say most practices are you know what you you see generally is uh stretch and catch so everybody plays catch and then you have your individual defensive work and and you've got a couple of different drills that you do and then you go to team defense and you've got yep. you know your bullpens going and then you've got batting practice which most of the time it's 50 miles an hour and uh just cupcaked in there so if you were going to help me to make my practices more game-like if my practices were traditional like that what would your best advice be
0: yeah so that's a good question more more game like i I, we like to come up with uh creative games um where there's some competition so really goal oriented so when we do bp we might have targets on the field or in a cage but also our players sometimes throw or a lot of times throw bp for themselves so we make it a game. We have a, you know, a tee with a, with a dodgeball on it. And we tell the guys like, Hey, if you throw off the, the, the dodgeball of the tee, you get a point. And mm-hmm. the guy that's hitting, he basically has to defend. Oh, nice. You know, trying, like uh, it's like a cricket, cricket BP kind of game. Um, also using a lot of knowledge of results. So we put the, the speed gun and we're going to tell him, you know, you have to hit the ball off the tee as hard as you can. And we make a, we make a scoreboard. Yeah, you you leave away the perception on that one but yeah, you can play around with a lot of game like exercises during BP, set out hitting lanes, um give them 10 points if they hit it through the middle, give them 5 points if they hit it up or pool side. That's some things that we're trying to implement and then also smaller games so uh, we play over the line a lot. The, the the kids love it. I don't know if you know the game over the line.
1: No, can you do you mind sharing that with us?
0: Yeah, it's. It, I think it's a big a game played in the San Diego and L.A. area on the beach a lot. Okay. So basically you make a pizza slice kind of field and you have a hitter and somebody that tosses the ball. And the hitter basically has to try to hit the ball over a line, which is uh, – I'm going to talk in meters here <laughs> – uh, 10 or 20 meters um, in front of him. So okay. he has to elevate the ball a little bit and he has to try to hit the ball – in between the lines of the pizza slice now there's three guys in the field that are trying to catch the ball if they catch it that's an out if you hit it on the ground then you get a point point. and yeah you can you can hit a lot they hit line drives The kids are diving and yeah it's a lot a lot of fun
1: <laughs> that does that sounds like a lot of fun and yeah. so that's that's uh, you're giving us a ton of content and I just want to say I appreciate that and <laughs> I've honestly never thought about putting a ball on a tee and just saying if the if you hit it that's a point for you and if the other side lets it go then that's a minus of, that's awesome. Yep. Like I yep. like I like that a lot.
0: Yeah, and it helps you with the arm problems too if you you know if you throw a lot of BP sometimes that's hard. Right. Getting your arm up the next day so if the guys throw them themselves or you make a little game out of it. Yeah, it's fun.
1: You've mentioned uh, several different times about trying to get them to organize you know, their bodies in a way that, that fits what you guys are, are trying to accomplish, you know, or just the Bernstein theory, essentially. Now, yep. what are some other ways that that you guys do that? So, you mentioned that you guys stand on a mattress, uh, which is yep. helps with balance, and you also throw, I have to swing at everything BP, and t- so my body has to organize itself to be able to mm-hmm. hit it. Is there anything else that, that you can uh, dig up to help us out with that?
0: Yeah, so it's really looking at what you want to change in the swing so let's say the 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 foot plant we think that's also a really important aspect of the swing so the way you put your front foot down um a lot of coaches talk about the the toe touch mm-hmm. to heel plant which is a really great uh you know analogy um we talk about foot plant so you have to put your foot down pretty stable in order to have your hamstrings and glute muscles fire so you can rotate with an active Pelvic or hip rotation against the firm front, si- uh, firm front side. If you don't put your foot down stable, you're going to leak some energy somewhere. Okay. So we really want to make that aspect of the swing a stable element, which is for us is an attractor in the swing. Now we can do that by making them step onto different platforms. It shouldn't be too high, but you know, maybe a couple inch off the ground, okay. but also have them um, do a run up. So when they have a lot of momentum going forward and they don't put their foot down in the right way, that's going to put a lot of pressure on the system. So now they have to work extra hard to keep that stability. Also, maybe have them stand with their backs against the BB thrower, the pitcher. And when the pitcher throws the ball, they have to turn around and also land with a stable front foot. So every time we're going to put some variety and try to destabilize that element of the swing and now they have to find a solution every time every time a different solution to make that element really stable
1: most of our listeners and you mentioned that you listen to a lot you have a commute so you listen to a lot of podcasts as well so i'm constantly trying new things and and i get i'm lucky enough to be able to get to interview people like you and and get to take in a, a ton of this different information and make changes you know small changes all the time so are there any any changes that come to mind that you're Changing from last year, you've gotten more information about it and you're taking a different approach and you're changing it from last year to this year.
0: Yeah, I think for the hitting side of things, make it more competition based, even more. I just came back from the World Cup softball, so I also work with the softball national team. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found that, yeah, velocity is something that we in in the Netherlands don't see a lot. Um, Also in the Dutch major league, the pitching velocity is not. Like it's in the in the the U.S., but I think we average about eighty-eight miles an hour. So yeah. when we go to a World Cup, baseball or softball, yeah, our biggest uh, challenge is to 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 hit that velocity. So I think one of the biggest uh, differences I'm going to make this winter is that we're going to see a lot of velocity and, and and play around with that. So I'm not a real big fan of pitching machines, but if that is the you know the the solution that we have to bring up for them to see. High velocity, that might be it, but also have our pitchers just stand close. Mm -hmm. Our pitchers also do a lot of variable training, differential training. So they will pitch from 60 feet, but also from, you know, 50 and also from 65. And so when our hitters hit, I have the pitchers standing close. So that 85 mile an hour fastball now becomes a 90 mile an hour fastball. Then 90 mile an hour fastball becomes a 95 mile an hour fastball. So stuff like that will probably be the focus for this winter.
1: Something that, that I've thought about doing here is we have the same problem. And in one thing that I've thought about doing is, and so we have these large cages that we can take, uh, we can have cage games. So we'll have a pitcher versus a hitter in, in the cage. And I'm, I'm sure you guys have the same thing too, but I want to make sure our listeners, uh, you know, have a visual picture of what I, what I'm meaning. And so for each, for each at bat, you know, they may have three or four at bats against the same person. I'm going to have them move up in the box so it'll be faster, and then we get a lot of people who gripe about, oh, he's throwing too slow. He's not throwing fast uh-huh. enough, and then that, that will get him out because then they're rolling over to shortstop, so then I'm going to have them scoot back the next time. So for each time that they're going against the same guy, and we may be throwing fastballs only, but for each for each at-bat that they get, it's going to be a different velocity because they're moving up and, and back in the box. So uh, I don't know if that's something that would help you, but it's just something that that I recently – was thinking about and I was like I don't know why I haven't done that before because that's a variable training that you're talking about yeah that's awesome
0: that's awesome I know we we did some stuff so I know when I was doing the under 18 baseball players a couple of years ago we had preparations for our European uh, championships mm-hmm. and we had the we had a machine and we put out five home plates so one at the regular distance and then one in front of that one in front of that so all the way up to the Maybe even the middle. So let's say 30 feet. And we made it a game. So if they hit a line drive off the machine, they could scoot over. And if they didn't hit it at line drive, they have to stay. And we, we, you know, made a game out of who could make it to the middle of the, of the distance. That was fun.
1: Well, and you're making a game out of it. So automatically when you say, Hey, we're going to compete in something, what do your kids do? They get excited about it, right? Because there's a winner and there's a loser. Exactly. That's fantastic. Talking about your own personal learning what's something that you've learned lately that you, that has gotten you really excited
0: ah oh, that's a good question there that's a lot especially uh you know when we when we were in preparation for the for the summit in florida mm-hmm. talking to Martijn and paul and franz you get challenged a lot so there's some things that I'm diving in right now franz talked about this is pretty hard i don't really grasp this myself but that the world is um you know working through inertia inertia a lot so when you do a exercise, it's not about the postural control, but it's more about the the force landscapes that that work into your body. And now this is really hard for me also to even explain. So don't ask me to explain it sure. <laughs> into detail. But the thing is that changed the way that I coach or train. I think is not looking at the postural things, or or you know when you do a movement analysis, not looking at the degrees or or the the lines that you draw into your screen but looking at what does the what kind of information does this exercise give you so if what I was just talking about with the foot plan if I make you do a little run-up before you hit that's gonna put more forces in that front leg Mm -hmm. so that's gonna tell me that I have to make that more stable or that I have to block with more intention Um, instead of, you know, letting it go and let the whole energy leak. So I'm playing around more like from a force landscape kind of perspective than from a posture. Okay, you have to keep your front leg stiff or it has to be a straight line. No, you have to kind of look at things a little bit different. So I don't know it exactly, but I'm going to dive into that because, yeah, I kind of touched that subject and that really made me enthusiastic because it, it really made sense.
1: Definitely. I think that, you know, any way we can always challenge our thinking, it, it does, you know, two things for us. It either brightens our minds up to something that's new or it reinforces something that we've already done. And so, you know, trying to do the same things over and over without having a reason, I, I just, I don't think that's a good enough excuse anymore. And so again, if, if someone challenges you, you either it reinforces what you're trying to do or you come up with something that's better. And I think that's you know that's why we're all in it. We're all trying to, to be better. We're all trying to help our kids get better. Bart, you may be right on 100% of the stuff and I may be wrong, but if what you're telling me is true, then then our players are going to be the ones that reap the benefit from that. And so that's why I'm always saying keep an open mind and and I, that's why I love doing this podcast is because I'm constantly challenged in a good way to either reinforce what I'm doing or rethink some of the things that that I'm trying to do uh, new now.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you're spot on. I, I totally agree. And uh, also, we're setting the example for the players. So if we have an open mind and they see that we're working hard and trying to be innovative and come up with new things, I think that you know trickles down and, and keeps them motivated.
1: Absolutely. And we, you know, learning is hard for us because we, we think we know it all a lot of the different times. And then we ask our players to do something different when they think that they know what's going on and they've had that same swing for 18 or, or 20 years. And so that just, that shows you that if we want them to have an open mind, and, and I know this is exactly what you just said, if we want them to have an open mind, then we need to have an open mind as well.
0: Yeah. 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 I totally agree. And it's, it's sometimes it's really hard, especially now with all the social media and, and right. the kids. They, you know, they they look at all the swings and they learn a lot. And and you have to come up with you know things that they know that you're you're, you're saying the right things because if not, they will you know they will
1: They'll call you up, out. Yeah, you know,
0: yeah, they call you out right away. And especially I have the hard time when I'm coaching the national team softball. They've been doing it for so many years and you know now here I come with all these weird exercises and mm-hmm. and you know thinking that the swing should be a little bit different here and there and yeah it's sometimes really hard so you really have to be on top of your game to give them the right explanation and where you're coming from but in the end normally they yeah they understand it so that's good
1: Sure and we're both pulling on the same rope of just trying to get them to achieve what they want to it's uh yeah. I, I, you can definitely tell you have a heart for your players so talk to us and give us some something that you guys do that when you bring it up your players get really excited so something you guys do in practice that your players love
0: yeah i think velocity days are are awesome so we get the the radar gun out we see how hard they hit this year with the the talents that we we coach and also the national teams we had a big bell in the in our uh indoor facility. Cool. So when somebody yeah, you, you probably seen it with the Florida baseball range as well and mm-hmm. you see the guys now having philo days that when they break their record, they get the ring the bell and everybody gets exciting and excited and yeah that's just really fun. The things also yeah keeping keeping track of data, keeping track of the process, um and make them uh, responsible for their own process. So we made some um printouts where we where they had to write down their goals and every week, they could write down what they're, you know, what they have accomplished in the in the training, so they they could keep track of what they were doing and see if they were, you know, improving. And I think that's something that they really love to see. Okay, every week I'm getting better, or you know, I need to work on this and this. So we really give them the responsibility over their own learning process as well.
1: Now, again, being a guy that is well versed as you are and and constantly seeking new information. For our listeners who, you know, want to dig in on some of the things that you're talking about, and maybe you mentioned something that that they were like, hmm, that that sounds really interesting. Uh, What are some of your favorite resources, books, or people that they can go, you know, they can go look up and and start reading about?
0: Yeah, so the first one that really changed my whole perspective on things was, of course, uh, the book of Franz Bosch, uh, Strength Training and Coordination, an Integrative Approach. I think that is uh, really a good diving board to look at training from a different perspective. Not only strength and conditioning, but also you know just motor learning principles that apply to skill acquisition. In the the first years when I really didn't know what was going on, I also read Attention and Motor Skill Learning from Gabriel Wolf, which basically explains the external versus internal focus. I think that's an easy read and also really making things clear. And from there on, yeah. It, I mean, everywhere I can get my information on Rob Gray has a fantastic podcast. Yes, he does. The Perception and uh, Action Podcast. It's a great resource for, yeah, all, all, all things that contribute to skill acquisition and of learning. And then, um, a really good book that I think, uh, for skill acquisition is also, uh, Dynamics of Skill Acquisition by David's Button and Bennett. That's the constraint led approach, which I think is really, really Good read for coaches and trainers in uh, in all athletics.
1: I think just about anything from Keith David's is very very good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're right. (laughs) But I picked up that book about a month ago. Uh, I don't know if you know Jason Ochart over at Driveline, but he and he and Eugene Bleecker both recommended that, and I was like, well, if if they both recommend it, then I need to you know pick it up. So I picked it up, and and I I get about ten pages, and I just I have to write down notes of what I think everything means, but. It's absolutely, you know, <laughs> Keith David's and the crew is is brilliant, and and I try to read anything I can with those guys. So no, those are awesome. And Bart, I I appreciate you hopping on and and so I I told you know early, told you earlier that you're in the future right now, seven hours ahead. So hopefully the rest of the rest of our day goes well. Since uh, <laughs> since you've already lived it, but if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you and ask you about anything that you've talked about today. What would be the best way to do so?
0: Yeah, I think Twitter is uh, the easiest. I'm not really big into social media. I'm not posting every day or every week. But mm-hmm. some here and there, I, I post some articles or some stuff that we're doing, which is uh, my Twitter account is at Bart Hanegraaff. I think it's easier if you maybe put a sure. link or something uh, in I'll the show notes. I'll put it in notes. the show notes, sure. <laughs> it's a pretty difficult Dutch name. And otherwise, they can send me an email. It's uh, Bart Hanegraaff at i. Cloud.com. If they have any questions, I'm always open to you know answer whenever I can. And yeah, I think those are the easiest ways to find me.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. And you know, I I just want to open up the mic for you. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go?
0: Who man, yeah. Keep 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 learning every day, and and find the right people uh, to surround you. I mean, I'm I was really lucky to bump into Franz and Paul and Martin and. That, um, they still have the opportunity, but I think it comes down to the people that you surround yourself with and and, and keep an open mind to keep developing yourself, and, and that way you can help others. So, yeah, be positive about everything.
1: Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. Before you go, I'd love to be able to get in touch with you, and we have several different ways of doing so. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at AOTC underscore podcast, You can join the AOTC Coaches Facebook group. And if you want to be a part of the mini clinic emails, both of those links are listed below. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review to help others find and stay ahead of the curve.